You're listening to a presentation of The Rising, a community of faith, a church designed to see people far from God raised to true life. We're always encouraged to know God is changing lives through this ministry. If you have a story to share of how God is working in your life, please let us know and send an email to stories at wearetherising.com. Now, prepare your heart and mind to hear a word from God. Well, um, it's good to be back. Last week, la- yeah, last week I was, I was out on vacation. I was snowboarding at Wintergreen, and I got the report that um, we had broken a record attendance. Uh, 194 people last week, a record attendance on a non-holiday Sunday, yeah. And I heard that, and I thought, well, I just won't show up this week. Maybe, maybe, we'll, maybe we'll break 200 people then. I don't know. We'll see. If, maybe that's the key. But no, I'm, I'm glad to be back, and I got, a, I got a word to share with you today. I wonder, have you ever uh, stumbled upon something and asked the question, where was this my whole life? Like, how did I not know this? I mean, this thing has been around, and, and I didn't know it. Like, uh, back in December, uh, I stumbled upon cereal. Not the, not the cereal that you eat with milk. I discovered that when I was a kid. But Cereal the Podcast. Does anybody listen to the podcast Cereal? Yeah. Two of you. Awesome. Uh, but I stumbled upon this and, and it, it was intriguing. It changed my life. What it is, is it's a story that's told over the course of a season on an every other week basis. And it was intriguing. It was gripping. It changed my life. And I, and I tweeted about it. My Twitter is posted to my Facebook as well. And somebody recorded on Facebook. They, they responded back to me. They said, welcome to the fall of 2014. Like, like, evidently I was late. I mean, this thing had come out in the fall of 2014, and I thought to myself, how did I not know about this for an entire year? I mean, this, this thing was out, and, and I didn't know about it? Have you ever stumbled upon something and thought, where has this been all my life? Like, uh, I'll give you another example. My wife and I have two different cars. I got a 2005 Scion TC. She has a 2003 Dodge Neon, and the gas tank is on opposite sides of the car. Uh, my gas tank is on the driver's side. Her gas tank is on the passenger side. And for years, when I would drive her car, I had no idea which side the gas tank was on. I couldn't remember it was on the passenger side. And so I'd pull into the gas station, pull up to the pump. I'd get out of the car, and I'd realize that I had pulled up to the wrong side. Then I had to get back in. I had to back out. I had to go to another pump. The struggle is real, you know? <laughs> So I had to do this, and for years I could never remember what side the gas tank was on. But then I discovered this. Uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but right there at your gas gauge, there's a little gas pump icon, and on either side of it, there's an arrow that points to the side of your gas tank. I had no idea that's what it was. It was in front of my face the whole time, and I missed it. I I was wondering, where was it? How how did I not know this? You know, there there are times, too, where... um, like, I get caught in these Facebook lists. Uh, you know the lists I'm talking about. They're big time wasters. It's like the 13 scariest places to visit on earth, the 18 celebrities who look like their pets, you know, things like that. And I stumbled upon this list, and it said the 22 words you've been mispronouncing your whole life. And I thought, well, I communicate for a living, and so maybe I should, I should look over this list. And so I started looking over it, and I was shocked by what I discovered. Uh, for instance, I came across this word right here. When you see this word, how do you pronounce it? Go ahead and say it. Right, prerogative, right? Many of us, the way that we say it is prerogative. That's the way that I say it. But what I found out, what I discovered is that I was 
getting rid of the R that, that comes up at first. See, it's actually pronounced prerogative. That's your prerogative. I know, right? Weird. Who says that? And so I stumbled upon that, changed everything for me. And then I saw this word too. Now, when you look at this, how do you say it? Go ahead and say it. Zoology, right? Everybody says zoology. What we do is we add an extra O to it because it's zoology. But what I found is that it's not zoology. It's actually zoology. You're supposed to say this word zoology. Who says that, right? I've been saying it wrong the whole time. How about, how about this word here? I, I came across this one. How do you say it? Sherbert. Sherbert. Would you like some Sherbert? Bert and Ernie, right? We, we, we put an extra R at the end when we say it. I'd love some Sherbert. But I've been saying it wrong my whole life. The way you're supposed to say it is Sherbet or Sherbet. Would you like some Sherbet? Yes, I would. Please pass the Sherbet. Right? Who blew my mind? I, I came across this one too. Now, this is relevant to me because I read this guy's books to our daughter, and I don't know if he's a doctor or not, but take a look. When you see this name, how do you pronounce his name? Dr. Seuss. Dr. Seuss. You're wrong. It's not. It's actually pronounced Dr. Seuss. I know, right? Dr. Seuss. Who says that? Like, e even though I know the proper way to say it, I still say Dr. Seuss because Seuss just sounds stupid. So, so for years, I had been mispronouncing these words. I stumbled upon it, and it changed everything for me. I'll give you, I'll give you one more uh, example. Could you, could you bring out my, um, my prop, please? Um, you know, for years, um, I hated eating cupcakes because it's awkward to eat a cupcake, right? When you go to eat a cupcake... It's awkward to eat it because it's so it's big. It doesn't really fit in your mouth. And so you got to, like, turn your mouth a certain way. Or if you don't, you get icing on your mouth. And then you're, like, wiping your mouth off and stuff. It's, it, there's no easy way to eat a cupcake until I discovered the proper way to eat a cupcake. Let me show you how you're supposed to eat a cupcake. Change my world. You take the bottom half off and you put it on top and now you got a cupcake sandwich. <laughs> Can you bring my water up? Should have planned for that. Should have planned to have a napkin too. Thanks, man. Hey, give it up for my wife. Thank y'all. Aren't you glad you came to church? Learn life-changing things all the time. But I stumbled upon those things, and I thought, man, where has this been my whole life? I mean, this transforms everything for me. It changes everything. And here's what I found, that when we stumble upon some new information, it can change everything for us. Really, let me say it this way. When we have a new revelation, it can cause a revolution to take place in our life. All it takes is a new revelation to cause a revolution. 
Today, as we continue this series, Resolutions and Revolutions, I want to give you one insight that I'm praying and believing is going to transform your life forever. It's going to cause a revolution to take place in your life. But in order for us to, to get this insight, I need to show you a revolution that took place in ancient Israel as recorded in the Old Testament scriptures. Because what happened then was there was something in their midst that when they discovered it, it caused a revolution. See, it was there the whole time. They didn't know that it was there, but then when they found out it was there, it caused a revolution. So if you have a Bible, would you open up to 2 Corinthians, I'm, I'm sorry, 2 Kings chapter 22, and we're going to start in verse 1. It's 2 Kings chapter 22, starting in verse 1. Now, I want you to hold your spot there because we're going to come to that uh, in a little bit. But before that, I need to give you the context of what we're about to read by giving you the entire history of Israel. So strap in, get ready. Here we go. Um, the nation of Israel started off as a slave nation. And then Moses led them out of Egyptian captivity and he led them to the promised land. Eventually they enter into the promised land and they live there for years and years and years until they acquire a king. The first king of the nation of Israel is a guy named Saul and Saul was a good king turned bad. After Saul came his son Ishbosheth just in case you're in the market for a name. Uh, Ishbosheth came after that. And then after Ishbosheth was King David. Now David, uh, despite his dysfunction, he was considered by God to be a man after my own heart. This is the title God gave him. David is a man after my own heart. And so David is known as this righteous king. He's the greatest king in the history of Israel. And then after David comes his son Solomon. Now Solomon was known as the wisest king in the world, the, the wisest man on earth ever. And Solomon was a good king, turned bad, turned good again. And it's during Solomon's reign that the nation of Israel reaches its uh, pinnacle of power. It doesn't get any better for the nation of Israel after Solomon. After Solomon, everything begins to decline because Solomon's son Rehoboam takes over as king and Rehoboam decides that he's going to be a tyrant of a king. Now the nation of Israel was made up of 12 tribes and when Rehoboam took over, 10 of those tribes decided they didn't want any part uh, in, Jer in Rehoboam's rule and so they separated from the rest of Israel. So now you have these 10 tribes known as the northern kingdom and they call themselves Israel and then there's the southern kingdom made up of two tribes and they're known as Judah. So Israel and Judah, the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom. Now Rehoboam leads as the king in Judah, the southern kingdom, while a guy named Jeroboam takes over as the king in Israel. And when Jeroboam takes over in Israel, he does this sin that plagues Israel for the next 300 years and ultimately leads to their downfall. And here's, here's why Jeroboam did what he did. I'll, I'll tell you what he did, but first we need to understand why. The way that Israel would worship God as God prescribed them to worship him, is on a yearly basis, they would travel to Jerusalem where the temple of God was. Now, when the kingdoms separated, northern and southern kingdom, Jerusalem was in the southern kingdom. And so on a yearly basis, the Israelites, all of them from north and south, would travel to Jerusalem in the southern kingdom to worship God, to offer sacrifices to God at the temple. And Jeroboam has this insecurity in himself, and, and here's what he says about the situation that this creates. Uh, 1 Kings 12, 26, Jeroboam thought to himself, 
the kingdom will now likely revert to the house of David. If these people go up to offer sacrifices at the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem, they will again give their allegiance to their Lord Rehoboam, king of Judah. They will kill me and return to King Rehoboam. So Jeroboam, because everybody from the northern kingdom is making this yearly pilgrimage to the southern kingdom, to Jerusalem, to worship God, he's afraid that those people are going to say, why are we doing this? Let's just rebel against Jeroboam and let's unite again as a kingdom. So here's what Jeroboam does. 1 Kings 12, 28. After seeking advice, not advice from God, but after seeking advice, the king made two golden calves. He said to the people, it is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. It's too hard for you to go to Jerusalem. It's too inconvenient for you to get out of bed and go to church. It's too hard for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. Now, if you're familiar with the history of Israel... All sorts of censors should be going off in your mind right now. Because who else made golden calves and said, Here, Israel, are your gods who brought you up out of Egypt? In 1446 BC, Moses led the Israelites out of Egyptian captivity. He leads them to Mount Sinai, and Moses goes up on the mountain to meet with God. Moses is up there for a while, and the Israelites go to Aaron, Moses' brother, and they say, this fellow Moses, he's been gone for a while. We don't know where he is. How about you be our leader, and you make us gods? So what Aaron does is he collects the gold from all the Israelites, and he fashions for them a golden calf. And he says to them, here, Israel, are your gods who brought you up out of Egypt. 530 years later, Jeroboam makes two golden calves and he says to the Israelites, here, Israel, are your gods who brought you up out of Egypt. Jeroboam repeats the sin that Aaron did 530 years before. And when Aaron does that, God says to Moses, Moses, you need to go get your people because I'm about to destroy them because they're rebelling against me, making these other gods. Jeroboam does the exact same thing that Aaron did 530 years prior. First Kings 12, 28, after seeking advice, the king made two golden calves. He said to the people, it is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. One he set up in Bethel. Bethel is in the southern part of the northern kingdom. It's close to Jerusalem. So now the people don't have to cross into the southern kingdom to go worship God, but they can go to this golden calf in the southern part of the northern kingdom. And the other in Dan. Dan is at the northern part of the northern kingdom. So he put these two golden calves at either end of the northern kingdom so the people never had to go to Jerusalem. And this thing became a sin. The people came to worship the one at Bethel and went as far as Dan to worship the other. Jeroboam built shrines on high places and appointed priests from all sorts of people, even though they were not Levites. Why is that a big deal? Well, because when God was setting up the system on how to worship him, he said the priests need to come from the tribe of Levi. I've set them apart as holy to me, and so the priests all need to be Levites. But here's what Jeroboam says, I don't care. God, I know you said to do this, but I'm going to do this instead. He appoints priests even though they were not Levites. 
He instituted a festival on the 15th day of the eighth month, like the festival held in Judah. So he, he starts this festival, and it's similar to how they would do it in Jerusalem. It's similar to what would go on in the temple, but it's not the same. It's, it's off. It's, it's different. This he did in Bethel, sacrificing to the calves he had made. And at Bethel, he also installed priests at the high places he had made. On the 15th day of the eighth month, a month of his own choosing... Not God's choosing. God, I know you say this, but I'm going to do what I want to do. I'll mix in some stuff that looks similar to what you want, but I'm going to do my own thing. A month of his own choosing. He offered sacrifices on the altar he had built at Bethel. So he instituted the festival for the Israelites and went up to the altar to make offerings. And you may be wondering, okay, but pastor, what is the big deal? Like, why is this so important? Who cares? I mean, he made it easier for the people to worship God, right? I mean, after all, they are worshiping God. Sure, they're offering to golden calves and things. And yeah, maybe they're, they're calling this God a different name, but it's the same God, isn't it? No. No. The, the problem is God said, this is what I'm calling you to do, and this is how you should live. And Jeroboam said, okay, well, I'll mix some of that into my own way and do what I want to do. It, it, really, instead of following God's instructions, Jeroboam is following his own inclinations. And, and, and he's, he's mixing his own will, his own way, his own want, his own desire into the way that God has called him to live and also the nation of Israel. And because of that, he sets up these golden calves and he leads the nation of Israel to sin, ultimately to rebel against God, which leads to the downfall of Israel. 1 Kings 13, 1 through 2. When, when Jeroboam does this, it says this, By the word of the Lord, a man of God came from Judah to Bethel. As Jeroboam was standing by the altar to make an offering, he cried out against the altar by the word of the Lord, Altar, altar! This is what the Lord says. A son named Josiah, remember this, we're going to come back to Josiah, will be born to the house of David. On you he will sacrifice the priests of the high places who make offerings here, and human bones will be burned on you. And so there's this prophecy that 300 years from this moment, there's going to be a guy named Josiah who's going to come along, and he's going to destroy this altar. He's going to put an end to this sin. But before we get to Josiah, we got to go through the rest of the history of Israel. Now, Jeroboam leads the northern kingdom, Rehoboam leads the southern kingdom, and the northern and southern kingdom run parallel to one another for about 200 years. And there's all sorts of kings who lead in these kingdoms. You can read about them in First and Second Chronicles, First and Second Kings, just kind of a list of all the kings and what they did. And every time a king is introduced in one of these books as taking over, the author of Chronicles and Kings gives us commentary by saying that they were either a good king or a bad king. They either did good in the eyes of God or evil in the eyes of God. And he also adds for many of them this thread that weaves itself through the fabric of the history of Israel by saying, and they carried on the sin of Jeroboam. So this, this thing that this guy did weaves its way throughout the history of Israel. And then later we see that it's the destruction of the northern kingdom. And here's what we see when you look at all the kings who led in the northern kingdom. For every single one, if you were to list them all, every one of them is described as a bad king. So for 200 years, every king after Jeroboam was a king who didn't follow God. And eventually God gets to a point 
where he gives them chance after chance after chance to follow him. And he says, that's it. Enough. I'm done with this. If you don't want to follow me, then I'm going to give you over to your own ways. Like if you want to rebel against me and you don't want to live for me, then I'll let you have what you want. And ultimately it leads to their downfall. By the way, this answers the question that people ask sometimes when they say, well, why would a good loving God send people to hell? He doesn't. God doesn't send anybody to hell, but we choose it. We choose hell for ourselves. See, the the scriptures teach this, that you and I were created in the image of God. We're sons and daughters of God. God created us to be in relationship with him. But in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, it says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. The wages of sin, what we deserve, what we earn because of our sin, because of our rebellion, is death. And we all know what death is. Death is separation. Death is separation of life from the body. But in a spiritual sense for eternity, it's separation of us from God in a place called hell. We don't get sent to hell by God, but we choose it for ourselves because we have the choice to accept Christ, his son, and get the gift of eternal life, be forgiven of our sins, be washed in his grace, his mercy, enter into relationship with him and be with him in heaven. Or we choose to rebel against him, to go against him, to live a life apart from him. And God, at the end of our life, says, you've lived a life apart from me. That's what you want, so I will give you what you want. And it's eternity separated from him. A good loving God doesn't send people to hell, but a good loving God sends his son to the earth to die on the cross, to take away your sin and my sin so that we could be forgiven and so that we could have life in a relationship with him. That's what a good loving God does. But we have to choose it. We have to make that decision. Earlier, you saw two people who chose life, who made that decision, who said, I believe that you died for me on the cross, Jesus. I want to give you my life. I want to make you the leader of my life, and I want to be immersed into you. I want to give you that chance today to choose life, because today you have an opportunity. Two choices are before you, death and life. Would you choose life? If you've never accepted Christ as your sacrifice, as your Savior, as the one who forgives you, You have the opportunity today. It's saying, I believe that Jesus died for me on the cross, that he lived a perfect life, a life I can't live. And he died a death I deserve by taking my sin on himself. And when Jesus died, my sin died with him. I've been forgiven. I've been made whole. Jesus gives you the gift of life. You just got to reach out and take it. The way we take it is by believing Jesus died and rose again. And then by saying, I want to make you the leader of my life. I've been following my own way for so long, and it leads to death. It leads to destruction. It leads, it leads to separation from you. But now, God, I want to follow you. I want to give you my life, make you the leader of my life. And what you say goes. It's by making Jesus the leader of our life. It's by being immersed into him. If you've never been baptized, maybe you've believed in Jesus for a long time, but you've never made the decision to be immersed into him. Today is the day for you to make that decision to be buried with him in the waters of baptism and to be raised up to new life so that you can live true life. Maybe you were baptized when you were a baby and it wasn't your decision. Today's the day to make the decision and say, I want this for me. 
Thanks, Mom and Dad, for your well wishes for me. I appreciate that, and I want to fulfill that by making the decision today for myself. If you've never accepted Christ, if you've never said yes to Him, I want to invite you to take your program. At the bottom of that program is a Connect card. At the bottom of that Connect card is a box that says, I want to accept Christ and be baptized. Would you mark that box at the end of the worship experience? Take it to the black tables that says, I have decided. We've got some people there who would love to talk with you about your decision, pray with you, and talk to you about what it means to be immersed into Jesus. But, but a good, loving God doesn't send us to hell. We choose it ourselves. And today, the choice is yours. And so for the northern kingdom of Israel, they chose for 200 years to rebel against God. Over and over, they rebelled against him, and God eventually said, okay, if that's what you want, then I'll hand you over to destruction, because when we don't follow God, that's what happens in our life. You can point back to times in your life where you said, I was following my own way, and it didn't work out so well. God calls us to a better way, to a new way, to experience true life. So he hands uh, the northern kingdom over to the Assyrians in 722 BC. The Assyrians come over, uh, come in, and they take over the northern kingdom. And then you fast forward 82 years uh, to 2 Kings 22.1 where you've been holding your spot. And so here we are, 2 Kings 22.1. It says, Josiah, here's the guy who was prophesied about 300 years before. Josiah was eight years old when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. His mother's name was Jedidiah, son of Adiah, who was from Bozkath. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed completely the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. And so, so now Josiah becomes the king of the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom has been destroyed. Uh, it's just the southern kingdom now. He becomes the king and he follows God. He becomes king at eight years old. And then 18 years later, at the age of 26, Josiah finds something. And what he finds sparks a revolution in Israel. Second uh, Kings chapter 22 Verses 3 through 5. In the 18th year of his reign, King Josiah sent his secretary, Shaphan, son of Azaliah, the son of Meshullam, to the temple of the Lord. He said, go up to Hilkiah, the high priest, and have him get ready the money that has been brought into the temple of the Lord, which the doorkeepers have collected from the people. Have them entrusted to the men appointed to supervise the work of the temple. Basically, what they're doing is they're doing repair work on the temple. The temple of God has been neglected for so many years. They're going in, it's, it's gotten cluttered, it's, it, it's run down, and so they're making repairs on it and they're clearing it out. 2 Kings 22, verse 8. Hilkiah, the high priest, said to Shaphan, the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. He gave it to Shaphan, who read it. Now, in the process of rebuilding the temple, repairing it, and cleaning out the clutter, Hilkiah the high priest of God, the man who's entrusted with the word of God, stumbles upon God's word, the book of the law, the Jewish Torah, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He stumbles upon it, and he says, look at what I found. Now, Israel was trusted with the word of God. God spoke directly to Israel. He gave his word to Moses, and Moses passed this word on for so many years. But now, at some point, it's gone lost because now it's found, because you don't find things unless they're lost. So at some point in history, the very word of God that was entrusted to the Israelites has been lost. Well, when did it get lost? How, how did this happen? 
in order to find out how the word of God got lost in the temple and nobody looked at it for 75 years, that's how long we got to go back. 75 years. Three kings before Josiah was a king named Hezekiah. Hezekiah was a good king. And then after Hezekiah was a guy named Manasseh. Now, when Manasseh took over, he was a bad king and he reigned for 55 years. He didn't follow the ways of God. And then after Manasseh came Ammon. Ammon reigned for two years. He didn't follow the ways of God. And now Josiah becomes king at eight years old. And then at the age of 26, he finds the word of God. So for 75 years, from the reign of Manasseh till when Josiah finds the word of God, God's word had been filed away, it was out of sight, out of mind, and the people didn't live by it. But then at the age of 26, Josiah discovers God's word. By the way, can I just tell you that you're never too young to do something great? You're never too young to live in greatness. Josiah was king at eight years old, and he discovered the word of God at 26 years old, and he sparked a revolution in Israel. You're never too young to live in your destiny. You're never too young to to accomplish and to lead. You're never too young for greatness, and you're never too old either. You're never too old to do what God has called you to do, because your best days are still ahead. Your best days are still ahead. The best is yet to come. So don't let anybody look down on you because of your youth, but instead set an example for them in love, in speech, in purity, in in how you live, right? You're never too young for greatness. And you're never too old to be obsolete because we need you. We need you to use the wisdom that you have to lead the way. You're never too young for greatness and you're never too old to be obsolete. So Josiah discovers the law in um, 2 Kings chapter 22, verse 10. Then Shaphan, the secretary, informed the king, Hilkiah, the priest, has given me a book. And Shaphan read from it in the presence of the king. So now Josiah hears the word of God. It's being read to him. And when he hears it, he does something about it. He sparks a revolution, 2 Kings 22, 11. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes. This is a sign of, of remorse and angst. He tore his robes. He gave these orders to Hilkiah the priest, 2 Kings twenty two thirteen. Go and inquire of the Lord for me and of the people in all Judah about what is written in the book that has been found. Great is the Lord's anger that burns against us because those who have gone before us have not obeyed the words of this book. Let me just tell you, some of the problems you're facing right now aren't problems that you caused in your life, but it's the problems people caused before you were ever born. You're suffering from some of the sins of other people. The the reason why you're experiencing some of what you're experiencing is because of mistakes your parents made. But you're not a victim of that. You can see that and overcome it. This also lets you know for parents, that's why it's so important for you to lead your kids in the way that they should go. Kids, you should honor your parents as they try to lead you because they've been there before and they don't want to see you go there. See, sometimes we suffer because of the sins of others, but we're not a victim of it. We get to choose how we respond, and we get to rewrite the story. We get to change the outcome. And this is exactly what Josiah does. Great is the Lord's anger that burns against us, because those who have gone before us have not obeyed the words of this book. They have not acted in accordance with all that is written here concerning us. And so he he says, go to the prophet Huldah, and she tells them what God says. Here's what she says, 2 Kings 22, 17. 
Because you have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods and aroused my anger by all the idols their hands have made, my anger will burn against this place and will not be quenched. Tell the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says concerning the words you heard. Because your heart was responsive, because you heard the word of God and did something about it, See, it's not just enough to come to church and hear a nice sermon and be like, awesome, come back next week. No, because your heart was responsive, because you heard the word of God. Pastor, that was an awesome sermon. Thanks. What are you going to do about it? Because your heart was responsive. Sometimes we just want to get so puffed up with knowledge. I want to go deeper in my faith. I want to learn so much. Do what you want to do, what you know, so you can be deep. That's what it is. Because your heart was responsive. This isn't a, 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 a head faith or a knowledge faith. It's a doing faith. Because your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I have spoken against this place and its people, that they would become a curse and be laid waste. And because you tore your robes and wept in my presence, I also have heard you. Because you heard me, I also have heard you because you heard my word and because you responded to it, I've heard you too. God, how come, how come there's no breakthrough in my life? How come this isn't happening? I don't get it. I mean, I come to church. I listen. I do all this stuff, but how come this isn't working? God's saying, cause you're not hearing me. You're not doing the things that I've called you to do. And so because of that, I'm not hearing you. When we turn to God, he turns to us. God says this in Jeremiah 29, 13. When you seek me with all your heart, that's when you'll find me. Because Josiah heard God, God heard him and acted on his behalf. For some of us, the problems that we face in our life would be eradicated if we just heard the word of God and did what he said. Right? God, I need a miracle in my marriage. How about you just treat one another better? How about that? Like, how about you just listen and submit to one another and obey and treat them like they're the most important person in the world? That's in the Bible. Not word for word, but... God, I need a breakthrough in my finances. How about you just manage what I've given you well? How about you just trust me with the time? How about all that and then you'll see it? How about you just hear what I said and then I'll hear you and I'll act on your behalf? Right? God, I need a job. How about you be diligent? And go get a job and stop filling out applications online in your pajamas, but follow up with people and, and, and stand out. And that's, that's, in, that's, that's in, not word for word, but it's in there, the, the principles. Because, because Josiah heard God. God heard him. I also have heard you, declares the Lord. And when God hears you, your situation changes. Your situation changes. I also have heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, I will gather you to your ancestors and you will be buried in peace. Your eyes will not see all the disaster I'm going to bring on this place. So they took her answer back to the king. I've heard you and I'm going to change your situation. So Josiah gets a message back from Holda and he says, all right, we got to make some changes then. And here's what Josiah does as a response of hearing from God. Second Kings 23. Then the king called together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. He went up to the temple of the Lord with the people of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the prophets, all the people from the least to the greatest. He read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, 
which had been found in the temple of the Lord. The king stood by the pillar and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and keep his commands, statutes, and decrees with all his heart and with all his soul, thus confirming the words of the covenant written in this book. Then all the people pledged themselves uh, to the covenant. And so Josiah stumbles upon the word of God he hears it, and he says, wait, 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 this is revolutionary. This is transformational. And so what he does is he gets all the people of Israel. He says, y'all are going to hear this. And he reads the word of God to them, and then he says, I'm going to commit to live by this. I'm going to make a covenant to live the way God is calling me to live. And the people of Israel say, us too. We're going to commit to live that way too. Based on the word of God, that's how we're going to live. And so here's what Josiah does. The rest of chapter 23 is this. He goes through and he tears down all the altars to other gods. The altars of Asherah, Baal, of Ashtoreth, the sun god, uh, Molech. He, he goes and tears down all these altars. He, he gets rid of the, the, the housing unit for the male prostitutes where people would go to have sex with them to worship the goddess Asherah. He, he tears down the altar of Molech where people would take their kids and sacrifice them in the fire to the God. He says, he says this doesn't line up with God's word. And so we're going to change it because we're living the way God's word says we need to live. And because of that, a revolution takes place in Israel. Really what happened was Josiah allowed what he read to determine how he led. He, he, he allowed the words in this book to shape his life. And because of that, a revolution took place. 2 Kings 23, 25. Here's what's said about Josiah. It says, Neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did, with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his strength, in accordance with the law of Moses. So what's written about him is this. It says, really, he was the greatest king in the history of Israel. No other king, not even David, was like Josiah. So what does all this mean for us? Why did I just spend all this time telling you about Josiah in the history of Israel? Here's why. A revolution, people turning back to God and finding life, didn't take place in Israel because of Josiah. A revolution took place in Israel because they discovered the word of God. And Josiah placed authority in the word of God. And he said, I'm going to live by what your word says. If you want to see a revolution take place in your life, then you got to place authority in what God says. You know why we read from this every week? It's not because it's some historical document that gives nice tales for sermons, but we read from this because this is the living word of God that's active, that breathes into our life, it breathes into our soul, and it transforms everything. That's why we read from this. I want to I show you how you should view the scriptures. Again, we place authority in God's word. God spoke to people who penned the words in this collection. This is the very word of God in our lives. It's our authority. It's living and active, and it speaks to every situation. The reason why you keep coming back to church is because a uh, collection of books 
that was written thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago still speaks to your situation today. Um, when, uh, when we started the church, uh, I've had a few conversations with a few people um, who have said to me, man, this is such an awesome, cool, hip, trendy, modern, neat church. They didn't say neat. Um, but it's such an awesome, neat, trendy, cool church, right? And then they would bring up various subjects, and they would say, but I don't understand how you hold such an old, ancient, outdated, archaic, those are their words, view on some of these things. I, I don't get it. Really what they were saying is, why do you take the Bible so seriously? Like, I know it says that in the Bible, but come on, this is 2016. Well, one person even said to me, how do you, but how do we, like, we've, we've grown past that now as a society, right? That's so outdated, and we've progressed beyond that. And so how do we modernize the Bible to make it more relevant today? And what I explained is that we don't modernize the Bible, we don't come to the scriptures through the lens of society and culture and the way I grew up and what my mama told me and what that one church told me. But we don't view the scriptures through that lens. We view everything else through the lens of the scriptures. That's what Josiah did. Josiah held the scriptures up to society and he said, that's not right, we got to change it. That's not right, we got to change it. See, he didn't bring society into the scriptures. We can't bring anything into it. We can't take anything out of it. But we hold the scriptures up and we say, because this is what the word of God says, this is how we're going to live. Because for 200 years... Kings in the northern kingdom looked at the scriptures through society. We got all these altars up to Baal and Asherah and all these. We got all this going on. And I know the word of God says this, but society says this. I grew up this way. Somebody told me this. Josiah comes along and he says, our society says this. My grandma told me this. I went to this church and they told me that. But what do the scriptures say? Oh, well, then let's get rid of these altars. What Josiah did was he followed the principles of God. Namely, he was following the principle where God says, don't have any um, idols or worship any other gods. And so because he allowed the scriptures to be the authority in his life, it changed everything for him. See, we got to take the scriptures so seriously in our life because when we do that, that's when we'll see a revolution. When we live by what God says, See, some of us, we don't experience the power of the Word of God because we don't live out the power of the Word of God because we try to explain it away. And when we do that, we end up with um, a Bible much like Thomas Jefferson created. Uh, back in 1820, Jefferson created his own version of the Bible. Um, it was entitled, uh, The Life and Morals of Jesus of Nazareth. And what he did was he took a copy of the Bible and he went to it with a knife, and he cut out all the parts that he liked. And he put all those parts, he pasted them on a blank sheet, and he left everything he didn't like. The things he left out of his Bible were all the miracles of Jesus, including the resurrection. And the resurrection is the power of Jesus, but Jefferson didn't like it, so he left it out. You and I don't have the, the, the privilege to approach the scriptures with a black sharpie. We can't just go and say, well, I don't really like that. Let me mark that out. 
we can't take anything away from it, and we can't insert anything into it, but we have to allow it to be the authority in our life, and we have to allow God's Word to shape who we are and how we live. And when we do that, it changes everything. That's when you'll see a revolution take place. Can I just take a moment to read God's Word over you this morning? In Josiah's case, the scriptures convicted the people. It challenged them. And they said, my life doesn't line up with that, so I need to change it. And they did, and a revolution took place. But there are times, too, where the scriptures encourage us. They inspire us, and they motivate us to keep going. I want to do a little bit of both this morning. As I read this, just know that these are the words of God spoken over you. These aren't my words. These are God's words to you. They're not meant to make you feel bad. They're not meant to make you feel guilty. But if you feel convicted by it, it's God speaking directly to you saying, I want you to align your life with my word. As I read this over you, would you prayerfully ask God, what do I need to do about this? How do I need to change it? Also, would you allow these words to encourage you? Because the conviction and the challenge here is meant to spur you on to a better life, to spur you on to a greater life, to spur you on to a life in tune with God, connected with Him so that you can live out true life. That's what this is about. It's not a guilt trip, but it's an encouragement to spur us on to true life. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says that the scriptures are the living word of God sharper than any two-edged sword piercing joints and marrow and it convicts and cleanses. I pray that as I read this over you it would convict it would cleanse it would transform it would change and change is painful revolution is painful because you got to do something different but ultimately I pray that it would encourage you Pray that it would inspire you. Pray that it would motivate you to live on the level God is calling you to live. This is about forgiveness. Colossians 3.13 Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. I'm not going to give commentary after each of these, but for this I just want to ask you, who do you need to forgive? Who have you been running away from? Who have you been avoiding? Like your dad has passed away now. He's gone. But you still hold the grudge. It's time to forgive. It's time to forgive debt. Romans 13, 8, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. Proverbs 22, 7, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. Making worship a priority. 
Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Purity. 1 Timothy 5, 1 through 2. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Hebrews 13, 4, marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Matthew 5, 27 through 28, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Job 31, 1, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a young woman. Serving others. Matthew 23, 11 through 12. The greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. Self-control and anger. Proverbs 22, 24 through 25. Do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate with one easily angered. Or you may learn their ways and get yourself ensnared. Submitting to authority. Proverbs 15, 5. A fool spurns a parent's discipline, but whoever heeds correction shows prudence. Gossip. Proverbs 26, 20. Without wood, a fire goes out. Without a gossip, a quarrel dies down. Parenting. Proverbs 22, 6. Train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. Work ethic. Proverbs 12, 11. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread. But he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. Priorities and rest. Matthew 6:33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Matthew 11:28. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Jeremiah 29:13. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. The reason this sparks a revolution in our life is because these are the principles of God, and when we live them out, things change. I want to give you one last one, and this is the truth that you have victory in Jesus. 1 Corinthians 10:13. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Romans 8:35 through 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you want a revolution in your life, you need to assign authority to the Word of God. Are you ready for a revolutionary move of God in your life? Then stand to your feet and let Him know. Because today is the day it's changing. Today is the day it's turning around. Today is the day you're going to walk in victory. The revolution begins now. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We pray you were inspired and encouraged by today's message. If you'd like to support this ministry financially, sign up to serve on a team, join a group, or just find out more information on The Rising, 
visit us at wearetherising.com.